That second scripture reading that Aaron read for us came from the book of Philippians. And uh, we call it a book. It's actually a letter that St. Paul wrote to the Christians in a town called Philippi, uh, which was in Macedonia. For those of you who are you know, history buffs, you might remember this guy named Philip, uh, Philip the Macedonian. He, he, had a, he had a son who accomplished a little bit. His name was Alex the Great. Uh, yeah, uh, so his dad annexed that city and named it after himself because that's what every humble person does, right? Uh, and uh, you know, this is a long time after that, but um, th- this is a thriving community. It's a very important um, part of the Roman Empire, and uh, uh, this, 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 this city is a key to Paul's missionary work. And when he came there... Uh, for the first time, he, he met a lady named Lydia. And maybe this sounds familiar. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. Lydia became one of the very first Christians in, in the town and welcomed Paul. And as she, her home became kind of Paul's home base to go out and share the gospel. Well, in Philippi, there is this girl who's possessed by a demon. And through this possession, has this strange ability to kind of predict the future. Whether she could actually predict the future or she just kind of saw the logical consequences of things that people were doing, I, you know, I, I think that's open to debate. But what's not open to debate is that there's something spiritual going on inside of her. And she goes around after Paul and Paul's partners yelling. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Which is right and seems good. But at some point, if somebody's following you around yelling that all the time, that's going to get obnoxious. And Paul gets tired of it. And he performs an exorcism. In the name of Jesus, come out. And I mentioned she's a slave, right? So her owner recognizes his financial opportunities with this slave have just gone down the tubes. And they're not happy about it. And so they trump up some charges against Paul. And they whip up the city. And there's, there's like a riot that takes place. And they arrest Paul. And they put him in prison. And as he's sitting in prison with his partner... It, In the middle of the night, they're singing hymns and praises. And God provides a miraculous rescue for them. And through the the events related to that rescue, the jailer comes to faith in Jesus. And not just the jailer, but his whole household comes to faith in Jesus. You know, and we, we think about households and um, if you've been listening to the Lutheran Hour uh, the last couple of weeks, they've been talking about households of faith. You know, we've got this image of the nuclear family. You know, so my household, if everybody were home, would be seven people. But that's not, that's not what a household is in biblical times. It's the immediate family. It's probably grandma and grandpa on both sides of the family and some aunts, some uncles, some servants, slaves, and people who are just connected. So when it says the whole household was baptized and came to faith, this is big. 
You know, and so now we have Lydia's household. We have this jailer's household. And you, you've got a, a church that's being formed in this town. And a pers- place of persecution became a, a, a thriving church. So that Paul's writing to them and encouraging them in, in the ministry. And I think this is actually a point of encouragement for us in a culture that's becoming less and less hospitable to faith. Paul was in a place that was not just not hospitable, but actively persecuting the faith. And boom, the gospel grew and people came to know Jesus and to experience his forgiveness and salvation. And the town was transformed. So this, this New Testament letter that, that we read from, Paul's writing to these Christians. And we're going to read from this letter this week and the next three weeks as well. So four weeks altogether. Anybody want to guess how many chapters are in the book of Philippians? So we're going to read a little bit of all of it. And I want you to hear how Paul opens this letter to the Philippian Christians. It's not part of the reading that we had assigned for today. But this is what he says in kind of some opening remarks. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I like this image of a partnership in the gospel. That Paul came there, no believers. And as they come to faith, they become partners in the gospel. They have a common work. They have a common task. They have a common hope. That word partnership uh, is the word koinonia in, in Greek. And that might be a word that you're familiar with. It gets bantered about from time to time. It, it, it's often translated a fellowship. And even fellowship is too weak of a word to translate it rightly. It, it means you belong together. That you're, you're bound together in a, in a special way. And, and, and what binds Paul and the Philippians together? Well, it's this good news. that God sent his only begotten son to die for us. And to rise and, and to give us a, a new life in, in Christ's forgiveness and salvation. And it's the same fellowship that we have. The same connection that we have. And it's a connection that we have back with Paul and the Philippians. You see, we belong together in mission and in ministry in Jesus. As we talk about stewardship these these next few weeks, um, that's an important part of the idea that I want to make sure that we're, we're holding on to when we talk about what it means to be the church. That we are people who are a fellowship, a people who belong together, a people who are united in a common hope in Jesus. We're people who've been brought together, belong together for the sake of Jesus. We belong together to receive God's gifts together, right? We've already done that a little bit. 
I pronounce God's forgiveness to you. That's a gift. I don't give that to you. He gives that to you. In a little bit, in a way that is kind of strange, you know, we're going to take our communion together. And we're going to receive Christ's body and blood for forgiveness and salvation and the strengthening of our faith. God's doing that in us as we come together to receive God's blessings. A blessing that comes to us as the gospel, the good news of Jesus is proclaimed to us. But we also belong together to carry those gifts out into the world together. To come together using the blessings that that God has given to us to proclaim that gospel in our community, in our families, to our neighbors, where we go to work, all all those places. And when you think about what goes into that, all of a sudden we get kind of, you know, brass tacks and we start thinking about business and corporations and, you know, how do we accomplish the mission and all of those things. And there are some of those aspects to what we do. And so when we talk about stewardship, what's the first thing that you think of? Come on, somebody say it. Money, yeah. And honestly, it does tend to be our our focus because some of your blessings are financial. God has situated us very well with financial blessings in our congregation. And to use that in the service of the gospel is a, is a good and a right thing. It's actually an act of worship. It's saying, God, you've blessed me. Thank you. Use this to help more people know Jesus. That's what happens. That's what the offering is actually all about. But are your blessings only financial? I'm looking at some really talented people out there who have been gifted and blessed in some really neat ways. Some of you have been blessed with time. Time to serve, time to you know, do things. Some of you are, are, are blessed with wisdom. Some of you are blessed with experience. Some of you are blessed with abilities, skills. Now, some of that blessing we use you know, to provide for our families and, and to do the work that we, we have in this world, right? But those also become the context that we have to share the gospel with other people. And they also become ways that we worship God using those talents and abilities, using that time in service of Jesus. And that's, that's an important part of stewardship, too. Because altogether, as Gloria Day Lutheran Church, we, we believe that we are here gathering people to Christ, building believers in Christ, and serving the world as Christ. That's not me and Bob. It's us, together, working in a partnership in the gospel. A partnership that's focused on how do we help people know, love, and follow Jesus. 
Now, these days, there have been some unique challenges to our ability to, uh, to gather, build, and serve. Right? You know, I, I think we recognize that. You know, I was thinking about you know, the cold, and I'm like, maybe some of them are actually happy to be wearing masks today for a little bit of extra warmth. It's made some of what we do more difficult. And it can be discouraging when life together and ministry become difficult. And I think it's part of our human nature to just kind of, oh, why me? Why do we have to deal with this? Why now? You know, what, what, what is this all about? And it's just such a, a inconvenience. And, you know, but I want to change that question just a little bit and, and ask a different one and say, who said that this was supposed to be easy? Who said that coming together and, and worshiping, coming together to serve Jesus, coming together to take the gospel out into the world was supposed to be easy? Because Paul's writing to the Philippians here as he's talking about this partnership in the gospel. And you, you remember what happened when he went to Philippi, right? They threw him into prison. He's actually writing this letter from a different prison. He says his, his, whole, his whole goal is to honor God in his body, whether by his life or by his death. That sounds pretty hard to me. And maybe that's okay. Maybe God can use hard things to help us to trust him more. Maybe he uses hard things to shape us to confront our sin, but also to comfort us as he blesses us in the midst of difficult times and difficult situations. You know, we think about our, our life. And life is a stewardship. God gives it. He entrusts you with this life, with that body with however many years. And in the end, he's the one who calls us out of this life. It's a stewardship to use our lives to honor God. You know, and I think we think about that sometimes. What, what will we do with our lives that's going to make a difference in the world? What will I do with my life that, that's going to bless somebody or help somebody or, or whatever? But do we ever think about how, do you ever think about how your death might bring God honor? No, pastor, that's stupid. I'm not going to think about that. Look at Paul's confidence in this reading. As he says, I don't know what to do. I long to go and be with Jesus.
but I know that as long as I'm here, I can serve Jesus and help people know him. See, for me, to live is Christ. Oh, that's a good thing. To be Jesus' hands and feet and to represent him and, and to share the gospel with people and to bring this forgiveness and salvation to them. Oh, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. We know what happens when we die, right? We go home. We are strangers and aliens in this world. We go to be with Jesus. To a place where there's no more suffering, sorrow, tears. No more death. He says to die is gain. And he doesn't say that in a sense of of this kind of nihilistic, well, everything in this world is garbage and so we might as well just die. He says it with hope. He says it with confidence in Christ's salvation. You know, there are a lot of people who are really fearful these days. They're fearful because of this pandemic of death. Can we look at our death as an opportunity to honor God? To face it with hope and faith and trust? knowing that there's something more beyond? And can knowing that there is more beyond, that there is better beyond, give us a confidence to actually live? And then to give our lives, not just to die for, but to live for Christ So that our lives deliver those gifts that Christ delivered to us. Because they're not bound by fears of what happens next. Because we know. So Paul urges the Philippians. He urges us. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know. During the week, um, usually what happens when I come into the office is the first thing I need to do is get caffeine. Uh, And I do that usually through tea. And I will put hot water over those tea leaves and let it steep, right? So the water goes in and it's perfectly clear. But when I pour it out, it's transformed, right? You've made tea before. It's not magic. Those leaves have so influenced the water that it becomes like something different. And when we say that we want to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, I think what he's saying is that we we live lives that are steeped in Jesus' grace. That we are so influenced by his forgiveness and influenced by his word that it changes what comes out of us. So that it reflects who Jesus is. So that it shares this hope that we have in him. As a congregation, he speaks to that church. He speaks even to us 
about standing firm in one spirit, that they're gathered in faith and hope in Christ's salvation, that they're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. They're sacrificing together. They're working together. They're giving together. Sharing our hope in Jesus together. Paul writes, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that Paul was. You know, I I think probably we like that first part. It's been granted to those to believe. Yay! We've received the gift of salvation. Yay! Wait, granted us to suffer? Wait, whoa. What's that about? We have been granted to live our lives for something bigger than ourselves. We have been given the gift of being able to look outside of ourselves and to know that there are things that matter more than our wants and desires and that there are things that are worth dying for and there are things that are worth living for. We're looking at a life that's lived with an unearthly confidence and hope. We have a life that's lived in the shadow of the cross that darkens and blots out all of our sin. And as we live in the shadow of the cross, we also live in the light of the empty tomb. Knowing that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too shall rise, and even now we walk in newness of life. Christ suffered for us. And it's our privilege to suffer. Maybe not to the same degree, I hope. But to suffer and to sacrifice, to give our lives to bring this hope to our generation. Engaged in a conflict. A conflict that we usually think about in terms of us and the world. But it's also a conflict that's within us. Because we have this sinful nature that doesn't want to suffer, that doesn't want to live for something greater than ourselves. And yet we have been made saints, holy in Christ. It sounds like a really great context to talk about the the story of our salvation. To recognize our brokenness and to rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. And then to carry that good news out into the world. So, As we look at stewardship across the next few weeks here, I want you to spend some time praying about this idea of a partnership in the gospel. What it means to be included in this hope and salvation 
what it means to live this life together. Not just as people of a common cause, but people who live in the hope that Jesus gives us. And people who have been called to share that hope in this world together. Amen.